Free City Radio on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. Um, playing a mix by Max HW, um, who put that together for the show today. Thank you, Max. Uh, in Toronto, uh, DJ friend. Um, so today on the program, uh, you are tuned into Free City Radio, of course, on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. Thanks for being with us. Um, on the program today, I'm lucky to be joined by an in-studio guest, who is Martin Lukacs, uh, who has recently published a book called The Trudeau Formula. Uh, we're going to be talking about that, but I'll just start by saying good morning. Good morning, Stefan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Great um, to be here. Likewise, it's, uh, I'm happy that you could come into studio. Thank you. So Trudeau Formula, uh, you've, you've toured this around Canada. It's been published by a Montreal publisher, Black Rose Books. Um, I heard you speak about it once. Um, learned a lot at the talk. Thank you. So maybe just first to start, uh, what is the Trudeau Formula? What was this book? What drove you to get that out there? Right. Um, well, the Trudeau formula is, uh, in some ways, uh, a liberal formula, but it's one that Trudeau has kind of perfected for the Instagram era of politics. Um, and it, it has a lot to do with uh, talking a really good game about transforming society on behalf of the 99%, but then quietly reassuring the true constituency of the Liberal Party, the corporate elite, that things won't actually fundamentally change. Hmm. So, you know, I mean, leftists often describe it as uh, campaigning to the left and and governing uh, to the right, uh, which the Liberals have done for, you know, consistently for about 100 years. Um, but I, in the book, I kind of tried to understand how it is exactly that Liberal decision makers, power brokers, uh, go about uh, executing that um, that modus operandi. Uh, so I kind of went behind the scenes like at liberal conventions and arms trade shows and, um, you know, uh, kind of the think tank circuit and um, wherever the corporate elite gathers and exchanges with the liberals. And what I discovered is that um, the public message that Trudeau and the liberal government, liberal party offer is often radically different from how they speak when they think no one else but the corporate elite is in the room. So yeah. I, I find that the kind of the pitch that 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 the liberal party and Justin Trudeau may makes to the corporate elite is kind of was kind of distilled in this one um, one episode uh, in 2015, a few months before he became Prime Minister, and he was speaking to the Canadian Club of Toronto, which, which is, is which is kind of like yeah. the the ritziest speaker series of Bay Street, um, and so it's like you know the financial barons of Canada assemble for fancy lunches. I wonder and... how the DJs are. <laughs> <laughs> what would they play? At I that? imagine it's like you know light jazz. <laughs> oh wow! Um, maybe some classical. Um, so Trudeau. Trudeau appears in May 2015 to speak to this, you know, assembly of financial barons. And it's it's like a few weeks after the Liberal Party announced their marquee policy of, you know, taxing the 1%, which I think had a lot, a lot to do with uh, the Liberals uh, winning this mantle as the progressive option for Canadians, certainly more progressive than the NDP in that election. 
And so, you know, most of the mainstream media, like the, the Global Mail, had condemned him for uh, invoking redistributionist dogma. Um, so he's speaking Actually, to the... He, yeah, so, he, so, so they, they in some ways are, are um, less savvy than the liberal party operators. So he's speaking to the very 1% that he's supposed to be targeting with these taxes, right? But what he actually says to them is really interesting. He says basically, look, friends, um, the status quo, as I've discovered, is unsustainable in Canada. And he kind of runs through a list of a lot of things that leftists would cite, um, you know, in growing inequality, the fact that um, uh, wages have stagnated for the majority of people in Canada, that pensions are eroding for many people, the social security net over the last, you know, 30 years has really deteriorated. And he's like, look, the status quo isn't sustainable. Um, if we don't restore a sense of fairness, Canadians, and this is a quote, direct quote, Canadians are, are going to begin to entertain more radical options, right? So it's like basically he's saying, look, it's either me or the pitchforks. Um, I'm the guy, and this is the pitch that basically liberal politicians and prime ministers have been making for a long time to the corporate elite. Um, I'm the person who can... Um, you know, have a sense of the mood of the country. I'm the person who can tap into the discontent that exists, um, but I'm not going to channel it towards actually, you know, changing the fundamental arrangement of this country. I'm going to ensure that um, it evaporates politically, right? Um, that I'm going to become the kind of manager of the discontent that exists in this country. And ultimately, what I will do is uh, shore up your interests. And so he was like, look, if you let me, you know, let me do this little minor tax on your personal income, you know, I will ensure that there's, you know, no raises to corporate taxation, which is much more important to the, the wealthy. And, uh, and we'll deal with the problem. Look, it's either me or Harper, who's totally made a mess of your interests. You know, he's like snubbed his nose at, at Obama. He hasn't got any pipelines built. He hasn't inked any major trade deals. Um, and I think, what you see, and I track that in the book, is that the kind of mouthpieces of the corporate elite in this country were like, yeah, he makes a pretty good uh, proposal. Like, you know, we're kind of frustrated with Harper. Let's, uh, let's go with Trudeau. And in many ways, the corporate elite in this country kind of swapped between the, the conservatives and the liberals. Um, often, I think, viewing the liberals as a kind of more enlightened um, party Got that it. can look after their interests. So the term the corporate elite is pretty serious. Um, I guess I bring it up because that um, we could look at a lot of different sectors or a lot of different um, sort of areas of corporate power. Uh, you talked about the Canada Club and these events on Bay Street that Trudeau addressed. Uh, one of the issues you do address in your book, Martin, is uh, in the environment and uh, the tar sands, um, pipelines. Um, and, you know, beyond rhetoric, this is a um, very urgent issue. Uh, I mean, uh, the global scientific community uh, has repeated the alarm innumerable times at this point in terms of what seems to be irreversible climate change. Uh, Trudeau does address this issue publicly in terms of recognizing climate change. So I'm wondering, in terms of what you described, um, in terms of, you know, addressing inequality or like this sort of 
nod to addressing inequality and changing sort of the tax realities, but not really on the corporate side. How does this translate for the oil and gas sector? And how does this also translate sort of rhetoric versus reality in terms of environmental policy? Right. Well, I think this question really speaks to the nimble way in which the Liberal Party represents uh, corporate interests. So I think the you know, the, the common narrative in this country is that the Conservative Party, especially under Stephen Harper, were the representatives of big oil yeah. in Ottawa. You know, they did the bidding of the tar sands. And the Liberals, on the other hand, are, you know, um, much more interested in making some ground on the climate crisis. And Justin Trudeau in particular, like, you know, he... He, in 2015, he was like, you know, the river paddling, like, you know, environmental Adonis, you know, like, um, you know, with his like, you know, Superman, uh, you know, outfits. And he really pitched himself, especially in rhetoric and in posture as a global climate champion. You know, he went to Paris in 2015 for the UN climate negotiations and uh, had his environment minister actually be one of the people who pushed for a more uh, stringent uh, target yeah. for getting, uh, keeping climate warming, global warming uh, under 1.5 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you actually start looking at the kind of uh, alliances that in private the Liberal Party was striking and the kinds of proposals they were making quietly, a very different picture emerges. Um what you find is that actually at the highest levels of corporate decision making, mm-hmm. uh, especially in one body called the Business Council of Canada, the Business Council of Canada is basically, most people don't know about it. I knew very little about it before I started digging into uh, the research. They are basically a common front of the biggest corporations in Canada. Um, uh, they are basically a kind of popular front of, of CEOs. Yeah, yeah. And they, um, they regroup, you know, the top finance, the top, top, top figures from finance, from, from arms manufacturing, from, from oil, um, from the retailers. Plus, it also seems like they're a bit of a little bit of a tin pot dictator situation. The same dude's been heading up that organization for like 20 years yeah, now. You, yeah, well, in, yeah, initially, um, someone named Tom DeKino was the head of, um, head for about 25 years. And uh, the, the, often it was known as a kind of uh, parallel government because yeah. they've been described by the, the head of the, the W, the, the economic forum in Davos, which is kind of like the, you know, the meeting grounds of the, you know, global corporate elite, they've been described as the mo- by him as the most effective CEO-based organization in the entire wow. world, okay. right? And so what what they what makes them unique is that they actually they're not just reactive; they don't just lobby uh, governments, either liberal or conservative, for changes to policies. They actually establish um these kind of ceo councils where they proactively put forward policy Mm -hmm. that they would want the government to um implement Mm -hmm. and in many cases uh their policies uh directly mirror uh what you end up getting from either liberal or conservative governments Mm -hmm. and um what was interesting is that um yeah like someone like thomas d'aquino like at one point he was asked by a canadian journalist like um do 
do you have um do you get bothered when you're described as uh, a lobbyist and he said no i don't even even god is a lobbyist um so so what you saw from the business council of canada in about 2006 2007 is they realized that canadians were actually getting quite worried about um, climate change and they wanted action on it. And so, um, as is Thomas D'Aquino's like specialty, he basically convened, um, uh, some of the top figures in the corporate elite and they, they decided to put forward a policy, uh, what, what they called a national energy strategy that would involve, um, making a concession as they described it, putting some water in their wine. And that was a carbon tax. And we understand a carbon tax to be like a, a litmus test of climate action bravery. The liberals have pushed forward with it, you know, in the face of kind of obstruction from the conservatives. But in fact, the carbon tax was the preferred policy of this assembly of corporate elite in Canada. Including the major players in oil and gas. Including, as we discovered, all the big oil companies. Um, and the resistance to that to the carbon taxes actually come from, you know, junior level companies, oil field service companies, which are the ones that the conservatives tend to represent. The major oil companies who kind of see things from a bird's eye view and are much more tactical and strategic actually thought that, yes, we should use the carbon tax to make this concession. What the carbon tax does is it allows us to maintain our destructive business model, uh, you know, increase the extraction of tar sands fivefold over the next 20 years. And uh, it will be effective as a kind of fig leaf to ensure that yeah. fundamentally things don't change. They couldn't get anywhere with Harper because he didn't want anything to do with tax. And then Harper, Trudeau comes along and he says, look, I will carry this forward for you. I will be a much more, as he says in a meeting I described in 2013, where he gives a speech to oil executives in Calgary. He says, look, I'll be a more diligent and deft, nimble promoter of your interests. I won't... Um, I'll strike up alliances where Harper has just alienated activists or indigenous peoples or environmentalists. And ultimately, with the, with the same aim of getting the tar sands to market. So if, any, if anything, the conservatives are the representatives of small oil. And the Liberal Party is the representatives of big oil in this country. Well, and I mean, thank you so much for laying that out. We're, we're in studio with Martin Lukacs, uh, who has published a book called The Trudeau Formula through Black Rose Books. Just quickly on this issue, I mean, um, land defenders, indigenous people who Trudeau has publicly spoken to uh, in terms of issues facing indigenous people, particularly at the United Nations in 2017, um, which was a major speech. Um, there's issues today um, that sort of clash with the two voices of the liberals, it seems. Yeah, I think... I think that the 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 promise of reconciliation and of uh, transforming the relationship with indigenous peoples was one of the core parts of the Trudeau brand, and uh, what we've seen from them in the first few years, certainly of their government, was this kind of public spectacle of yeah. reconciliation. You know, he he he'd be paddling down rivers with indigenous youth, and you know, doing smudging ceremonies at dawn. Uh, outside parliament and uh, you know whenever there's a serious uh, tricky political situation there's always one way you can tell uh, Trudeau will put on his denim jacket um, and he did that when he you know had to manage the situation with um, uh, indigenous youth putting up a TP, a protest TP, uh, just around the time of the 150th 
birthday celebrations on Ottawa. Um, so he, you know, and I remember at, at the time that uh, he did that, he kind of stepped into the teepee, takes his shoes off, you know, took took the feather that the young indigenous uh, protesters gave him. And then when he stepped out of the teepee, Gerald Butts, his, you know, top advisor, tweeted out something like, this is just one step uh, in a long journey of reconciliation. So they, they've they've done a, a terrific job at posturing as, you know, deep friends of indigenous peoples. <coughs> but then when you actually look at the, the, the policies, yeah. um, uh, they have continued as they were from the Harper era and from um, ultimately, you know, since the, since the foundation of this country, which has been dependent on uh, fundamentally the dispossession of indigenous people's lands, uh, you know, unhindered resource extraction. And that agenda, if anything, under this, uh, you know, spectacle of uh, public contrition and tears. Um, uh, Audra Simpson, a Mohawk scholar, calls him the weeper in chief, uh, which I think is a perfect summation of that kind yeah. of public image that he's crafted. All that has actually covered for the the continuing land grabs that in some ways have actually accelerated from the Harper era. I think Trudeau has been able to advance that agenda of extinguishing indigenous land rights uh, more effectively than Harper was able to. You know, Stoughton Camp uh, has recently put, uh, on Sunday, put out a press release about um, attempting to uh, address trespassing on their traditional territories. Um, just uh, encourage people to check out their work. It's Unistoten dot camp uh that's u-n-i-s-t-o-t-e-n dot camp um so there's a lot of issues in your book martin um the trudeau formula i would encourage people to to pick it up and you know we're living in this moment we only have three minutes left but um this is an issue we've consistently addressed on the show um free city radio which is militarization and war um obviously the u.s airstrike on iraq um in recent days uh, was a violation of international law. This has been clearly uh, illustrated. Um, the liberal statement was basically a lot, but a little, in um, or a little, but a lot, perhaps a little statement with a lot of meaning. So I, in terms of foreign policy, I'm just wondering if you have any response on this. You've written on these issues in The Guardian and other places. Yeah, well, so that, that the response that that uh, the new foreign affairs minister put out was uh, was quite weaselly in that they they didn't criticize, uh, as you say, the violation of inter inter grievous violation of international law and the assassination of a you know top ranking military official uh, from the Iranian government, and uh, you know didn't come out saying that there should be a de-escalation on the part of the U.S. who had been escalating, but they they they, they kind of engaged in their um, their kind of both sidesism. And but I think it's important to look beyond that that statement because Canada, even under Trudeau over the last four years, has been implicated in a kind of low intensity uh, economic uh, warfare against uh, Iran as part of that. Uh, U.S. escalation, which has, you know, extended for many years. So Canada under Trudeau has 
maintained uh, Iran on uh, the terrorist list. They have not reopened up um, diplomatic relations as, as Trudeau promised in the last election. They have maintained many of the sanctions that had been established under Harper, basically at the at the back of uh, the United States. And, you know, they've gone so far as to uh, seize assets of the Iranian government in uh, in Ottawa. So this is part and parcel of this um, junior role that the Canada has played uh, uh, under the U.S. umbrella, escalating uh, relations with Iran. And I think it's deeply worrying. And so there's a really incumbent upon, I think, Canadians and an anti-war movement to stand up and say no simply to, to war against Iran. Martin Lukacs, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Uh, check out Martin's book, The Trudeau Formula. There is a website. Yeah, trudeauformula.com. And um, yeah, really encourage uh, people to look that up. Um, you can read Martin's writing in many places, including The Guardian. Uh, it was published locally, the book, uh, through Black Rose Books, um, which is just on Park Avenue. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Free City Radio on CKUT 90.3 FM. Thanks again to... Uh, max for the music mix you'll be able to hear it in full at soundcloud.com slash free city radio soon and um i'm your host stefan christoph do stay tuned the xx files is coming up 